podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Hello and welcome to the Chelsea. Here we are, it's done. The league's finished and what a few days we've had. Proper Chelsea roller coaster. I'm glad it's over. We know where we stand. Still the small matter of trying to heap some misery upon Arsenal and win Frank's first silverware as manager. And then buying in the Champions League and then who knows what. Hey Andy, how are you? Here we are. This is it's done. We we we're through. How happy are you? Yeah, it's been a funny old week, isn't it? It's been a week, a week of two halves, really, um, with two games of contrasting emotions. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a very, very odd uh, end to the season, isn't it? We know we're done now, but we know we've got another one starting, you know, almost immediately. So it's uh, yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, we'll go into more detail in a minute with everything. But how's your week been? Um, cricket and fishing for you? Well, cricket was a bit irritating on Saturday because it rained. This weather's awful. I mean, I don't want to do a podcast about the weather, but you know, we were just saying it's very autumnal, isn't it? And can't really make any plans because you know, because it's just raining and miserable, and got the heating on, and I don't know. I just think it's symptomatic of the strange times that we live in. Yeah, I, I agree. We, it's all gone back to front. Summer was in April and May, wasn't it? And and yeah. now we've got autumn. Because I tell you, the leaves are falling already. It's so yeah. strange. But um, yeah, I, I wanted to chat to you about something before we get started. Um, did you see the interview with Professor James Calder on BBC Sport about crowds going back to football matches? No, tell me all about it. Okay, this was interesting because he thinks... What will happen at first, there will be reduced crowds until probably a vaccine is found and the take-up has been large on on the vaccine. But um, I'll read a couple of paragraphs here because, don't worry, they're not huge ones, but I think this is very interesting. He also revealed that experiments are underway to assess whether droplet spread is increased by chanting and singing and therefore whether there may be a greater risk of coronavirus transmission. He said, we need to know, actually, does it matter if you're shouting, how far will those droplets spread? At a football or rugby match, the fans are going to be shouting and chanting and singing, and we need to be sure that the people in front of them are as safe as possible. Now, if there's no massive droplet spread, okay, we can keep within the social distancing that we put down for, say, snooker and cricket. But if it is a problem, we need to rethink the social distancing within the stadia, and that becomes very difficult. Yeah, it's interesting because this is the same argument for, again, I mean, I keep coming back to it, live music venues. Um, in the sense that singing is not permitted in front of a crowd for that very reason that droplets are spread by people singing on stage. 
So it makes complete sense to apply the same rules to mass gatherings. If people are going to be singing, it's the same thing. You're going to be spreading droplets. So, so that is going to be an issue. It, it, I, I, what I thought immediately is I know that a row or two behind us, there's a couple of sprayers. If you, if you know what I mean, who I felt, you know, spittle come flying down. Not deliberate, it's just when they're shouting and incapable of probably being sober. I don't know, but um, it, it's, it is kind of worrying because I actually can think of plenty of times where I've gone, oh, that's just disgusting. Mm. Well, now it's going to be disgusting and dangerous, potentially. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it, it's, it's a mess, and I, I, I don't know what the answer is. And uh, I guess it's a bit different for music. Well, no, maybe not, because not. people do I mean, sing do sing along a lot, actually. No, I was just it's thinking... It's not about singing along. It's about the people on stage singing. Oh, OK. Right. It's, um, it's, it's, if you've got a singer on stage singing, they are spreading droplets into the crowd in front of them. That is the theory. OK, but you could put a, a Perspex screen up, I guess. That's one well, way of doing that. Well, but who wants that? No, yeah. no one. But the, nothing is ideal, is it? No, and 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 but there are you know so many other issues with with live music venues, exit entries, you know touch points, all that stuff, social distancing. So it's not just that, but that that's one of the the, the issues that has been raised in terms of reopening live music venues is the spray from singing. But I guess also thinking about it, the spray from the audience because people do sing along with the songs. Well, yeah, exactly. There is that, you know. So so it's it, it is interesting. It was interesting to see this week. There was I think a thousand cricket fans allowed into the Oval uh, to watch a, a county game, all very socially distanced in a very big stadium. And uh, you know they're trying, they're trying to do it. But I can't see us getting back into a stadium for months and months and months. No, and, and if and if and if we do, it'll be a couple of thousand of us, and then a few more, and then a few more. And how do you choose who is allowed in the stadium? If well, it'll got... have to be season tickets to start with, so that'll be maybe half the stadium, and then you'd have to pare that down somehow. Well, I, I suppose I don't, I don't know how you would do it, but you know, but it certainly you certainly won't have anybody that isn't a season ticket holder. No, I, I guess it'll be like voluntary redundancy, won't it? <laughs> you know, you will be asked, do you want to come or don't you? And you will get an amount of people that will say, at this moment in time, not for me, thank you very much. And I think... Maybe they'll do it on a lottery basis. Maybe they'll say all season ticket holders can go into a essentially a prize draw. And, you know, if you're one of the 5,000 or 4,000 that, you know, that are allowed to come in, we'll notify you and you can you can come, essentially. Maybe maybe that's the way they'll do it. Yeah, but then you've got all sorts of things like you go with your boys or what have you. you suddenly one out of three may come or well, just the whole can't, group. Then you just don't enter the prize draw. But, yeah. you know, I think that, it, you know, you, you get given one ticket um, and... It's up to you whether you whether you enter or not. But no, there'll be none of that. I want to sit with my mates. Nonsense. It'll just be. I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking, uh, you know, about ways we do about ways you can do it. But if you had a situation where if you were a season ticket, you could enter a prize door, but it's for one ticket. It's not for your whole family. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think keeping a family together is not a problem. I mean, but but look at the conversation we're having. I mean, can you imagine? But how do being... you do that? Because then you say, well, then you win three tickets or four tickets. Well, you say, you know, I I guess you do it as groups, so that if they know that you have three season tickets together, then that group can sit together because you're obviously in your own 
bubble in the but real what world. what constitutes a group? Because I've got a couple of people that sit next to me who are friends of mine, but they're not family, you know, and I could I think and you say, keep well, they're, they're a group. Uh, but yeah, but, but what I'm saying here, it's not as easy as just saying family, because... You know, lots of people, you know, who who go to football don't go with their family. They go with their friends. No, but you I know, think that's so where then, you start. It's it's interesting. <laughs> There's so but many how do you, ways. How do you how do you prove that it's family? Well, names, I guess. Well, what if your what if your what if your you know your daughter has a different name because she's married? Birth certificates. Oh, mate. I mean, it's like you know, it's not as easy as that, is it? It's what I'm saying is nothing real, is easy. No, it's not. It's the, but look at what we we've just chatted for two minutes on this and we're already confused who gets in and I, I just think start off with those who say look I'm quite happy to sit this out for a while and then have to work out a plan and it, it will be something like a lottery idea I'm sure but um, yeah do, it's the you, only way I can see it working yeah it's, it's it's a mess though isn't it I mean I, f- I feel for everybody in this situation because everyone wants to get on with things but. We really can't, not not in this this kind of way, you know. No. So, do you fancy being a guinea pig at sporting events, or no. would you sit it out? I'd sit it out. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, well, I'm asthmatic, you know, and so I think it would be silly and risky to to do that when the science isn't there to say that it's safe. Yeah, and especially after you know, I know that you've stuck diligently to the rules for Try months to. and months. Yeah, you know what I mean. But in principle, we have tried to stick to the rules diligently. You don't want it to mess up now, do you? It's, well, it's... no. And I think that it's you know it's symptomatic. I mean, I've got some friends that are in Spain at the moment, and obviously Spain. We've just introduced this new quarantine uh, rules for people coming back from Spain at very short notice. And they've pretty much said they're going to ignore it. They're like, well, who's going to enforce it? Who's going to police it? I'm not going to do it. You know, I mean, it's irritating, but, you know, I mean, I'll I'll just nod along and say, yeah, fake phone, I'll I'll self-isolate for it. But they're not going to. And nobody is, Kerry. No. And I I think that the the problem is, is we can put as much guidance and rules in uh, as you want. But, you know, if people decide that they're not going to adhere to it, nobody's policing this. No, they aren't. And that's absolutely true, because I know somebody who in the last two weeks has been, for business, been to Portugal twice, Sweden once, and Spain twice. So you work that out. (laughs) And has been back in between each trip to this country and has not self-isolated at all from Sweden or Portugal. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, people I don't think that it applies to them. That they think they're invincible. They 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 don't agree with it. It's just, you know, you either say to people, "We are entering another lockdown, and it is the law that you do this." And you know, if you don't do it, there will be severe consequences, and we will police it, or you don't, because there's no way of enforcing it. Yeah, and, and everyone seems to be avoiding. Anything being the law, from what I can see, yeah. it's you know use your common sense. I'm not sense. advocating that yeah. necessarily. I'm no, not saying that you, we need to you know have, have police on the streets with guns, but I'm just saying that it, it's it's pointless putting in this in inverted commas guidance because the guidance has been proven not to be followed. Um, and 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 I, I sort of loop that back to football. If you put a load of guidance in place about uh, oh, you have to do this, and you have to wear a mask, and you have to self-ice. Uh, you have to socially distance when you're in the stadium, and you can't sing. I mean, you can put all that guidance in place, but people will absolutely ignore it, particularly because they'll have three or four pints before they go in, and all their, you know, their 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 
impulses and their behaviours will be changed, you know, because they've consumed alcohol, and, and, and all that will go out the window. And you'll have a load of stewards going, excuse me, don't sing, excuse me, can you sit next, not sit next to each other? And it just won't work. Yeah. It just won't. And I, I know that's a very negative view, but until we essentially get a vaccine, we're going to be in this situation where it won't work. Yeah, I agree. In fact, it reminds me when you're talking about football fans not behaving. I'll never forget that. I'm not sorry, Kerry. Just, just, just on that point because I don't want to sound like I'm some no. preachy, preachy person. I, I'm not saying that you know football fans are terrible people. I'm just saying it's just a consequence of human behaviour, excitement, and alcohol going into a stadium. You're not going to adhere to the rules. It's not it doesn't make them bad people. It just no. means that it just means that it, it just physically won't work. Sorry, mate, to interrupt you. No, that's right because. People get caught up in the moment. Of course they do. You know, and, that, and we've all been there. We, we know what that's like. Suddenly you find yourself, you know, just going absolutely bananas. But, you know, it reminds me of that time when we went to the Cup Winners' Cup final when we were going out on the plane and everyone's being told to sit down for takeoff. And as we taxied, suddenly it was, stand up if you love Chelsea. And, that, you know, that whole plane suddenly stood up singing. Yeah. And you just think... That's what happens. It only takes one person to do it, and then everyone goes, this is a really good idea. And it was a very funny moment, but probably not so nice if you're the pilot going, why is my uh, aeroplane shaking about? But, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. Now, I totally get what you're saying, and I also understand how we can all lose ourselves in, in, in the moment. But, um, all right, well, look, let's move on to, to the... Sorry act. if you can hear some hammering, by the way. There's somebody behind me hammering things. I don't know what it is. So apologies for that. Okay, well, as long as they're not hammering you into your shed and locking you in, nailing the door shut. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but I'm, I, I can't hear it, so we're, we're, we should be okay. All right. Well, look, um, yeah, let's go back a few days. Liverpool, Liverpool at Anfield. Mm. What did you feel before that game? All I knew was that I had this faint belief that, you know what? This is just the kind of game we could go in and spoil the evening for Liverpool a little bit. And then part of me went, are you really being serious? And I don't know. How did you feel before the game? Well, I'd always written this game off, yeah. to be honest. I mean, I, I think any sensible Chelsea fan would have said, look, you know, this, this, we're probably not going to win this. This is a, a really good Liverpool side who have romped the league. They are, um, you know, really uh, focused on winning. There was a slight, well, maybe they'll be on the beach. Maybe because they've won, they'll be slightly relaxed. Um, that, that, there was that slight sort of thought. But generally, I think when I was looking at the fixtures with three or four games to go, I thought that Liverpool game will lose that. Um, and, you know, it'll all be on the Wolves game and, and whether Man United can beat Leicester. So that, that, that's what I always thought. So I wasn't going into that game with any sense of hope, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I kind of know what you mean. But you know what I'm like. I'm always looking at the positive. But I, I have to say, I was a little concerned. I know we talked about you know, playing, you know, back three again. Um, it became very clear. I mean, the side, well, you know, he he did what he did the, the few days before. But um, it became very clear that their front three would run us ragged, didn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that their front three is, is probably one of the best in the world. So there was no doubt they were going to anyway. 
And also, whenever a player hasn't scored for ages, and how many times did you hear that in the first 15 minutes about Firmino not having well, scored yeah, at Anfield? I know. But, you know, if there's one side that's always going to be generous to the guy who doesn't score, it'll be us. But, well, that's uh, one of the real factors this season, whether it's Christian Benteke or McGoldrick or, <laughs> you know, Firmino. These players that are enduring massive goal droughts, we're just a gift to them. Yeah, we are. We go. Look, it's all right. Come on, come on, come and get that goal. You'll feel yeah. so much better. Come and get that monkey off your back with us. Come on. <laughs> exactly. So, were you surprised at the side that Frank put out or not? Um, I wasn't particularly surprised. It, you know, it was all fairly standard, wasn't it? You had, you know, Dave Zuma, Rudiger, and James at the back. Jorginho, Kovacic. Um, uh, uh, and Alonso. Alonso, and then William Mount and Giroud. I mean, there's nothing particularly, you know, radical in there. Um, you know, it's it's you know three at the back and two wing backs and three at, you know it's all perfectly normal, really. So you know, I didn't I didn't see any particular surprises in there. Slightly, you know, interested in the Zuma Rudiger thing, I guess. You know, whether Christensen would have come in for that game, um, and you know, Pulisic not playing was interesting um, because obviously he came on and made a huge impact. I think Pulisic was the one that everybody went, oh, okay, that's interesting um, because obviously it had worked so well in the previous game. But um, it's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? At this time of the season, Frank's, I think, starting to figure it out now, what, what he wants and what the shape he wants to play is in various games. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. And it, it just seemed once he decided to go for Zuma and Rudiger, it did feel, and it has felt from then on, that he was going to pick that pairing. He had to stick with them, I think. I think he's lost patience with how it's been, and he's thought, well, at least this way, I get Zuma in, who can win the ball in the air. He's yeah. tough tackling. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of get the, well, look, let's just go for the no-nonsense approach. If they're run ragged, they're run ragged. We've just got to get through this season and limp through it. Um, I mean, the only thing I would say about that is the one thing that Liverpool aren't is a particular aerial threat. Yeah, you know, they're they're, they're a very you know ground playing team. So having Zuma as an aerial presence didn't for me. I just thought that was interesting, and you know maybe Christensen um, would have been a better fit in terms of you know his 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 ground play. But you know that's by the by. Yeah, I mean, whatever, it just didn't work. I mean, I have no. to say, once we went 3-0 down, um, I was fearing a Crystal Palace kind of score. Did you, did you switch over and watch Celebrity Masterchef? No, uh, no, I, I, I recorded that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was fearing, I, I have to say... I was fearful, and then well, I mean, who wouldn't when you're three 0 down against the champions? Yeah, you know, with a, with with still, you know, half the game to still be played. You know, it was, uh, you know, there was a lot to be fearful about at that point. I think, but I think getting a goal back when we did really changed things for us mentally. Yeah, you know, and, you know, and, and Olivier Giroud popping up and you know proving that he's been you know quite an incredible player during the lockdown period. Yeah, you have to say, uh, the one thing you would say about Giroud is when he's not playing well and he's missing, he never goes missing, if you know what I mean. He will still then go and search for the ball. He might shank his shot, he might get his header wrong, but he still keeps piling into the box and trying to get on the end of things. And I I think that's real testament to him as a player and as a character. And he, he has been one of the leading lights, especially since lockdown, isn't he? Yeah, he's been excellent, and and I think we've played to his strengths as well, which is you know not not playing 
uh, on the back foot. We try to get forward. We, we, we're not asking him to run 30 or 40 yards in the channels, which is not his strength. He doesn't have the pace to do that. We're, we're saying to him, operate in and around the box where you can cause mayhem. You know, if, if there's a long ball coming up, you know, flick it on and, and, and move. I mean, all those things that play to his strengths have, have um, you know, have come into play. So, so, so that's worked for him. I think previously we were, we were, you know, asking him to, you know, to turn on the halfway line and run. Uh, and and that's not that's not what he's good at. That's much more of a Tammy game. Um, but in and around the box, if the ball is in the air or he's able to hold it up and lay it off, it, you know he's he's excellent at that and proved that and scored the goals to you know to to, to demonstrate that. I also think uh, the one thing we're seeing from from Frank is an understanding of getting it across to his players that you have to play to your striker's strengths, as you just mentioned, because that's something that we've been bad with over the last few years, is that strikers end up not getting the ball where they need it or how they like it. And it seems to have got through to the players that we have to play differently when Giroud's in than when Tammy's in. So that's made yeah. a... Yeah. yeah, it is true. That's true. And also as well, you know, if you think that the primary objective of any football match is to score goals, you really need to be thinking of what the end product is. And the end product is goals. And the person that is best served to deliver that end product is your striker. So you have to work to a strategy that says, how best can we get that ball to that striker to give him the best opportunity to score? And I think you're right. That's exactly what Frank has, has, has started to think about what is the process for getting the best out of Olivier Giroud. We know he's a dominant elite header of the ball. We know that he's physically strong in the box and can hold the ball up and lay it off to other people to score. So let's let's try and do that. You know, so you're seeing a lot more crosses into the box. You're seeing a lot more uh, action in and around the opposition 18-yard area. And that's left us a little bit wobbly at the back on occasion but you can see that it's you know working towards an objective rather than a you know a hit and hope and let, let's hope that he can run onto the ball and I guess also the, the other person that we should talk about because after half time and, and when he made his substitutions Pulisic came on and I presume that Frank is still nursing him through because he knew that Wolves was probably the most important game and didn't want to perhaps start him in the Liverpool game. Um, but my God, what what an arrival, wasn't it? I mean, he, he has got something about him that is just, you know, who knows what it'll be like if we can get him properly, fully fit through the, this summer break, however long that is. Well, and also the, the players that are coming into play with him, you know, when, when you've got Zayek and Werner uh, and him and, you know, potentially... Uh, Havertz sitting behind them I and mean, they're all goal scorers and, and assisters so you know and Mount obviously so you know it's going to be really interesting to see how he operates with players in and around him that can play that game so so no I think incredibly excited and made an incredibly dramatic impact when he came on as a substitute made a goal for Tammy scored a goal himself you know in you know and, and, and could have had others and you, it's all you know it's all coulda shoulda woulda but you know if he'd have been on earlier maybe he would have you know created more of an attacking threat and, and, and they wouldn't they wouldn't have gone three 0 up, so it it is interesting. But you know he's he's been uh, really impressive, um, particularly since lockdown, and particularly since he's got his fitness back, and just looks like he has the mental strength and the technique, and he's the whole package. So I'm I'm, I'm really excited to see what what happens when we put a team around him that's worthy of his talent. Oh, and and both both those goals were incredible. And one for the for the dribble. I mean, it was 
so mesmerising. It, it reminded me of people like Ryan Giggs. You know, mm. Those players in their pump go, you know what? I don't really care where you're standing because I'm going through you or around you. I'm, then I'm going to pass a nice li- little ball inside. Goal. Uh, and then the way he took his goal. He reminded me, and I uh, said this at the time when watching it, when he took the ball in his chest and when it came down and he swivelled, he showed what the the potentially great players have. Time stops. And no matter what anyone else does, he's in control of time. And I, I just thought that goal was superbly taken and superbly managed. And I, he just, yeah, he just excites me. Like, well, no player since you know who. Yeah. Well, you know, Frank Lampard said that, you know, he's got huge quality, couldn't play against United because of his injury. Said he's going to be a huge player for us. Um, yeah, and you're referring to Hazard. And what's interesting about the comparisons between him and Hazard, and I, I don't think that it's particularly helpful to, to make them too much, but one thing you can say is that what Christian Pulisic has is incredible pace over a short distance, which is what um, Hazard had. He had that afterburner effect where he had a change of pace. So he's able to run and then run quicker in the same sprint, you know, which takes him away from players. And I think that's a really interesting thing that not many players have that devastating speed over 10 15 yards and you know and he has that you know I wouldn't you know I wouldn't necessarily say that over a 30 40 yard period that he's necessarily going to outpace some of the you know the best defenders in the league but over that short distance he's explosive and having explosive players is is really important when you're creating attacking opportunities well, talking of attackers, um, the last thing I want to mention really before the break is your take on William at this moment in time, because he's a player who, yeah, OK, he can disappear out of games. We've talked about him constantly, but there are rumours and I know we don't like speculation, but apparently, possibly negotiations have finally hit a point where both parties may be happy. Would you be happy to see William stay? Yeah, we said this last week. We yeah. spoke about it at, at reasonable length last week. Yes, of course. I think he's an excellent player. And um, I think we hugely missed him against Liverpool. We missed him as an outlet against Liverpool, which you know, he's always wanting the ball. He's always a great outlet. We missed his um, energy and his tempo. Um, and, and that's what he brings to the team. And if we can do a deal with William, then absolutely do it. Because I think that... The amount of games that we're going to play next year, particularly with Champions League, we're going to need players that are going to come in. And we're going to need big game players as well with experience. And he's definitely that. So no, I'm all for keeping William. Great. Well, that's that's good news. Um, we will talk about other aspects that came out of the Liverpool game when we get onto the Wolves game. But right now, we should take a break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. 
e-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back. So the Liverpool game was done and dusted. It all came down to the Wolves game. I have to say, even though in my heart of hearts I was sure we would get the result, I was nervous all day. I couldn't really concentrate on doing anything else. I've forgotten that feeling. I thought I'd been nervous previously this season, but boy, was I nervous before the Wolves game. How were you coping with it? Or were you, you know, tough enough to take it? I was kind of zen about it, I guess. It, you know, it, it, we, we, we could have done this a lot earlier and the fact that we'd left it to the last day meant that it was going to be what it was going to be. Um, I felt that we could beat Wolves. I mean, we only won five games at Stamford Bridge in our opening 13 league games this season. But we've actually ended the season with six successive home victories. So there was a there was a sense that, you know, we, we were starting to create a bit of momentum at home. I felt that if we could put the right team out um, and take our chances, that we could create problems for Wolves. My fear was the same fear that I've had all season. Were we able to defend, you know, against their, you know, their their very impressive forward attacking players? Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, Jimenez has been in form. You know, they've got uh, Adama Traore, who I like to see on the bench. But then you go, oh, he's probably going to come off to, know. you know. Yeah. Try- My son was saying that. He's like, oh, I'm surprised he isn't on. But I, w- I don't want him to come on against a tiring, you know, a tiring yeah. Chelsea defence. Yeah. You know, because he'll cause all sorts of problems. But they've got Jota, they've got Neto, they've got Neves, they've got, you know, they've got Don- Dendonka and... and- Bolly scored against us. I mean, they've got players all over the pitch that can hurt you. So that that was always going to be a concern. But the, the moment we kicked off, we really seemed to, I don't know, we seemed to be in the right character for the game. You know, you know there, there was, it seemed to be, I don't know, application, which sometimes you could say possibly has been missing sometimes. But again, well, the the side was slightly different, and I guess the biggest biggest person to be not playing was Kepper. And it seems like finally this was a public pro- proclamation from Frank that he's not the man. I know he's dropped him previously in the season, but this is comes down to the biggest game of our season, the biggest game of Frank's managerial career. And he decides to go with a 38, 39-year-old instead of his £75 million goalkeeper. There's no coming back from that, I don't think. I cannot see how Kepper survives at Chelsea now. Were you surprised? Did you admire Frank for doing it in such a big game? And what difference do you think it made during the game? I wasn't overly surprised. Kepper had an absolute stinker in the previous game um, and has had a lot of stinkers. You know, I mean, the stats are there for everyone to see. His shot, you know, shots, you know, saved percentage is terrible. You know, we've conceded far too many goals. Our set pieces are awful. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that Kepper has kind of turned into a disaster and a catastrophe. I mean, there's no doubt about that. What's slightly irks me a little bit and I've said this before is that he's become a lightning rod for frustration um, and and everything's kind of been directed towards him where actually defensively all all over the pitch we've been awful this season absolutely awful and as much blame has got to be put on Rudiger on Christensen on Zuma on James 
on Azpilicueta and anybody else that's played in a defensive position for us. And, and some of the midfield as well, who haven't done their defensive jobs. So I just think that if you think that all of our defensive woes are on Kepa, then you're deluded and you're kidding yourself. Um, does that mean I don't think Kepa should go? I think he should go. I don't think he's good enough. You know, he doesn't come for crosses. He doesn't, you know, he, he just isn't good enough. It's as simple as that for an elite team like that. The, the, the problem we have now is we spent so much money for, for him. He was a world record signing for a goalkeeper that we've got to recoup some of that. So who's going to buy him? Um, at, at this press after the season he's had so so that these are all issues but he, no I wasn't surprised that he played uh, Willie because you know Willie's got a lot of experience you know he's 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 more than able to, to come in and, and do a job and, and he did and I, I wouldn't be at all surprised and would absolutely imagine that he'll play in the cup final as well yeah I think he will without a doubt and and how important was that clawing away of that weird old cross that came over because actually that could have dropped in um it was a very important moment I mean it was really the only thing he had to do all game but boy you know beautifully placed straight onto Marcus Alonso's face <laughs> yeah it was it was lucky that Alonso was there because if that had just dropped into you know Jimenez's path or something we would we would have been in real problems I mean let's not kid ourselves we didn't we didn't have a great first half you know, it was still. You know, you say you say we looked in control. I just thought we didn't look like we were going to concede many, but there was no ideas, there was no creativity. Most players were anonymous. It was a little bit, you know, for the first forty or so minutes, a, a bit of a dead game and a nervy game. We certainly didn't look confident. No, I, I think that's probably fair. I'm I'm getting caught up in the moment, and you're right because. Everyone on both sides kept giving the ball away a lot, oh. but but they just didn't look as though they were going to damage us. No. And okay, we didn't look as though we were necessarily going to damage them, but we did seem to clear our heads first. And I, I think, in a way, that Caballero save was was a moment where things did change after that. So um, there was a moment where Mason Mount put a cross into to uh, Giroud. Giroud and it was slightly behind him and he headed it over the bar and you thought, yeah, that's what we need to do. We need to get down, get down into that, that channel uh, and get the ball over to Giroud. Exactly what we were talking about five or 10 minutes ago, this idea that you have to play to Giroud's strengths. And when we started doing that, I got a sense that we can put those balls into the box then there, there's going to be opportunities. And then of course we had the, the three minute, moment of you know firstly Mason Mount you know with his incredible free kick and then Olivier Giroud three minutes later with what I thought was a brilliant finish and a great assist by Mount and then the game completely changed and turned on its head yeah uh, and they they, you know and it was a fantastic dive from Marcus Alonso I mean yeah but as I said that's karma for what happened at Anfield (laughs) you know for the ridiculous decision that led to Trent Alexander-Arnold's free kick goal so you know what goes around comes around yeah, it really does. But then, boy, I mean, that free kick was staggering. You know, he, he puts it up and over the highest part of the wall. And get, and you look where it goes in. It goes right inside the post. There is no one in the world going to save that. I mean, it did, was. Did you see that brilliant uh, little video? Did I send that video to you of Mason yeah. Mount when he was a kid in uh, uh, training at Chelsea during, when he was in the under, it must have been the under 12s or something, uh, talking about his free kick technique. You know, I base it on Ronaldo. I hit the valve, the ball moves. And then, you know, a shot of him taking a free kick over a wall in exactly the same position. I mean, it is amazing to, to, to see that footage of kids coming through our academy and then doing it on the big stage yeah no, worth, I, worth searching on uh, on instagram or, or, or twitter if you haven't seen it 
No, absolutely. It's just brilliant. And you just think, you've been doing this for years and years. But, um, all right, well, look, um, we should just hear from uh, Nizar Kinsella because uh, he's been fantastic for us this year. He's um, He's been reporting for us from all these games, and we're really appreciative of everything he's done. So let's hear from Naz for the last time this season um, from Stamford Bridge. Uh, it's Mr. Nizar Kinsella, Goal.com's Chelsea correspondent, reporting for the Chels. Hi all, this is Nizar Kinsella, Goal's Chelsea correspondent, reporting for the Chels. Um, just, you know, been into uh, the last game of the season at Stamford Bridge. Uh, you know, the fans weren't there. It was a, you know, typically odd experience, but we got there, we got it done. I mean, at times this season, I didn't think that we'd actually finish. Um, so I think that's an achievement itself, achievement for the football authorities, uh, all the individual clubs. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, we were a bit sceptical about football coming back and how it could handle the virus, but it certainly has it's provided us with entertainment, I think. I think, you know, and when you're looking at goal and our website, I think that we're getting more engagement than ever, really, um, which is a surprise because, you know, it is an interesting Chelsea story I'm telling at the moment with Frank Lampard and the young team, but just the fact that, you know, it's not a truly sensational story and, and, and the appetite is just as high as ever, maybe even higher. I think, you know, we're all looking for things to watch on TV and, and sport is really, uh, you know, filling the gap really of, of, of our lives and, and, you know, what there is to do and not to do at the moment. So, um, yeah, I found that. Um, yeah, it's been well received. Uh, the fact that we've got the league done, of course, for Chelsea, we're able to tell a positive story. Um, good end to the season, of course. Uh, and yeah, it was um, it was it was just one of those where you know it was, it was nice to be in the stadium. I mean, I mean you know, when I was walking in, I, I sort of waved to Mason Mount. I walked in at the same time as a lot of the players. Waved to Mount. He's always one of the you know friendlier ones in the group. Uh, you know, great personality, and you know, he's man of the match and. Uh, you know, you saw him after the game doing his interviews and stuff, and he just looked really, you know, buzzing and happy, and and sort of just has a great demeanour about him. Frank Lampard and Jamie Redknapp were doing their interview with Sky, and and they were like going over to him and and sort of saying well done and all that. And the Wolves players showing him a lot of respect after a good performance. And yeah, it, it's it, we've been a bit closer, I guess. You kind of feel almost closer to it because. There's not like really any noise in the stadium. You can hear a lot of things, um, and yeah, it's just sort of that's how the behind closed doors experience has been. Now um, I'm not going to go to the FA Cup final. I've uh, our Arsenal correspondent um, is going to go instead. Uh, we as organisations, every written media only gets one journalist in. So I've said that our Arsenal guy can go. He he supports Arsenal, so. Uh, I think you'll get a lot out of it, especially after being sat next to him at Baku uh, in the Europa League final, 4-1. Chelsea absolutely running over uh, Arsenal in that game. And I think, you know, for him, it'll be a level of vindication, revenge, and also maybe for him to experience Arsenal winning a cup final. Uh, Not that I think they will, but um, yeah, to experience Arsenal winning a cup final behind closed doors would be a very unique experience. So, yeah, it's my last game this season. Um, yeah, Bayern Munich was also a difficult one to cover for many, many reasons. I could go into them all day long. But, uh, yeah, I think that 
for me, I'm happy. Might do the playoff final, championship playoff final, do a bit of moonlighting in another area. But yeah, it's um, it's been good. Hopefully next season we can welcome the fans back pretty soon and I can see some faces, uh, a lot of the friendly faces that come to these Chelsea games and, and we can sort of continue with our lives as, as a bit more normal. Anyway, I've enjoyed doing these updates and all the best, guys. Naz has been fantastic, hasn't he, Andy? I mean, you know, he he says he's not going to the cup final, so that really is his last one of the season for us. But it's it's been great having some insight from a journalist like him, isn't it? Yeah, it's been great. Thanks, Naz. You've, you've you have been amazing. It's just nice to have somebody on the spot, isn't it? And and, and giving us a sense and a flavour of uh, of what it's like at these games. And you know, he's such an articulate uh, journalist and, and and a great writer and a really considered, thoughtful, measured uh, writer. So so it's been a real you know privilege to have him on board. So thanks a lot, Naz. Yeah, cheers, Naz. Okay, so I guess one of the things that I'd like to talk about um, before we wrap up is. Who's going to get your vote for the Player of the Year? I know who mine is. Mine's Mason Mount, but mm, okay. who are you going to? Who are you going to pick? I'm going to pick Kovacic. I just think that Kovacic has been phenomenal and unreal, uh, and I think somewhat underappreciated. I think Mason Mount's had a brilliant season. Uh, he's obviously played over 50 games. Um, he, I think, is going to be in that midfield for, for the next decade or more, hopefully. I mean, I just think he's a brilliant, brilliant player. But there's something about Kovacic which I love and which I've loved this season. His maturity, his control, his ability to read the game um, and, and create calmness in that midfield. Um, I think he could do with with adding some things to his games I mean could do with a couple of goals and assists but I think that when you know when he has uh, players around him that can allow him to to, to really blossom he's going to be just a phenomenal player so I think also from the you know from from where he was last season where people were moaning about us even buying him from Real Madrid where people were down on him to where he is now I think I just think he's phenomenal. Um, so, so Mason is a very, very cloud, close second for me, but for me it's Kovacic. Uh, no, look, uh, Kovacic, I, I agree with you. I think he's been fantastic. And I think he's shown um, that strength of character because, uh, you know, a lot of other players, the kind of criticism he's had, the kind of criticism Jorginho's had, the kind of criticism Rudiger's had, you know, you have to have a strength of character. Who knows whether they hear any of this stuff or read any of it, but I'm sure it probably filters through one way or another. But he's shown such determination and he's evolved as a player I mean Frank has obviously said if you get the chance to dribble go at these players go at people and I love watching him dribble because <laughs> you just don't expect it sometimes I mean even though now we've got used to it we kind of do he he just absolutely flummoxes midfields with the way that he slaloms through players and he's strong as well yeah good good use of the word flummox there I have to say <laughs> Um, I do look. I just think that there is something about Kovacic which is mentally strong, and 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 illustrates the fact that to play at this elite level, it, a lot of it's in the head, a lot of it's mental. Um, and if you have that mental strength and that mental fortitude, which he has, and which Jorginho has, to be to be fair, um, then I think you know you, you will succeed. And I think if you look at 
perhaps players, and we've mentioned them before, people like Callum Hudson-Odoi, Rudiger to a degree, um, other players in our team that maybe don't have that level of self-belief and 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 you know and and just maturity that Kovacic has i think you can see the difference in the players and 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 what they what what they bring to the team yeah well i, I think he's a very good shout for player of the year i think mason mount will get it um, oh i i think he will because i think just just for the context that he comes from you know that he's a youth player that he's uh you know he's impactful that he's plays with a sense of joy and a, I look for all those reasons I mean I'd happily vote for him it's a, it's a it's a you know it's a cigarette paper between the two I don't have you know I wouldn't have a problem at all if Mason Mount was was player of the year I think he's a it's a fabulous fabulous player um and you know he needs to add things to his game he needs to add goals to his game and he needs to add assists to his game I mean he's starting to do that you know he did that in the in the last game with a fantastic assist uh for Giroud and and a goal but you know I, I want to see him do that week in week out I want I want to see him become Frank Lampard you know yeah. because he's capable of doing it he's he's evolved all season I think you you see even when he's like hoiked off at halftime in the cup against Leicester he comes back and he he's obviously learned something he's gone I'm not untouchable I've he's got to, mentally strong yeah he is he's he's got yeah. something about him and he just looks so unassuming and he's so charming you see mm. him on on online and things and he's got something very warm about him so for me, if he can go on and be the success that we think he will be, barring injuries and things, I, I agree with you. I think he's going to be in that midfield for the next 10 years. Um, I, I think fantastic. So, look, I'm, I'm happy with either of them. Um, in any other world, probably Pulisic would be well up there, but he's missed a lot of the season. He missed a lot of the season. I mean, you could put Giroud in there for his for the end of the season, but you know he, he hasn't scored enough goals really over the course of the season to, to justify it. I mean, if you were just doing a lockdown player of the season, then both of those players would definitely be well up there. But yeah, you know, if, if you're looking at the whole of the season, it's got to be between Mount, Mount and Kovacic for me. Yeah, and also honourable mention for Tammy because he scored a lot of goals in a period which actually set us up for this. I yeah. mean, he tailed off a bit but he had some nasty injuries uh, and I think he'll come again next season without a doubt I think he's going to be an important player in this squad um, we'll see we'll see we'll see whether he gets a game uh, I think he will I, I think do you think he'll get a game with you know a, 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 how many games do you think he'll play next season when you've got Pulisic Werner and Ziyech up front I think he'll get 30 odd games you know okay. whether the, not I don't know. I, I'm literally putting it out there. I haven't even I haven't even thought about it before before this. But you look at the players, you look at those three players, and and you think that that could be the front three. That could be your Salah, Firmino, Mane. You know, it could be it could be, you know, your Suarez, Messi. You know, you know what I mean. It's like yeah, yeah. It, it feels like a ready-made front three to me. So it's going to be difficult for him to to do that. But you know, there's a lot of games we've already said there'll be. 50 games next season because of the Champions League and and everything else so and and you know and and fatigue so 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 hopefully he will and and I agree he's an excellent player and in certain situations uh with with a certain formation I think he he works really well and you have to give credit for his 15 or so goals this season I think that up front next year in midfield and up front there'll be very few players who spend a lot of their time playing 90 minutes I think I think I think Frank will rotate in games. I think he'll change things because I think we've now got a selection of players who do different things. So it will, yeah, it'll be interesting. Look, 
this is the big test for him as a manager. How do, It's easier to handle defenders with your decisions than I think it is with the attacking godlike people up front who dictate whether you end up winning 3-2 or lose 2-0, if you know what I mean. So, I, I, But then I, I think Frank has been around managers who know how to and who know how not to handle big players if you know what I mean he's seen all sides of the the managerial coin so well he, well he has and and but he's also been under for example a Mourinho untouchables regime mm. where you know where where Didier Drogba just started every game because it's Didier Drogba you know and you know so he's he's seen how you can win things by having a stable untouchable 11 um, he, you know, but he's also played under, you know, other managers who've, you know, Ranieri, for example, who was, you know, famously the Tinker Man. So it'll be interesting to see which of those philosophies he adheres to. He's not, he's not a huge user of substitutes in games. You know, I mean, he does, he does use substitutes, but he doesn't, you know, I mean, he doesn't rotate hugely. I don't think so. It is. Uh, it, it will be interesting to see what he does next season when he has more options to look at. I agree. It will be interesting to see what happens. Well, we'll talk more about Frank next week in potentially the last podcast of the season. Um, I think our FA Cup final special. Our FA Cup final special, and you never know if we beat Bayern Munich, then we might do one after that. <laughs> you never know. But in principle, next week will be the last podcast of the season. But um, okay, we will talk Frank then. It's now time. For first, worst and best, which comes from Noxy or Matt Noakes. Hi, it's Matt here, and this is my first, worst and best. Okay, so it's uh, probably sacred, I don't know, but I can't actually remember my first game. I used to go down to the bridge quite a lot with uh, my cousins, because my nan used to live down Fulham Road, so I used to get in for free at half-time into the shed, as the man used to let all the little kids in at half-time for nothing. Um, so I think the first game was actually Bolton at home in 81-82, which I have no recollection of. So I'll go for my first memory, was when I really became hooked on the shells. So that was in 1982, same season, FA Cup fifth round, mighty Liverpool at home. Now, I know some of the younger viewers and younger listeners probably don't understand, but back then, Liverpool were quite a good team. I know that's not the case now. But um, they had players like Dalgleish, Souness, Hanson. We had Rhodes Brown, Mike Fillery and Mickey Droy. So, obviously, we were really up against it. We uh, went 1-0 up. Peter Rhodes Brown burst through, knocked into the bottom corner. Place went wild. And then um, Connolly... Got a winner near the end of the game for a 2-0 win. So since then, I was just completely, completely hooked. My worst games, I've got two. Couldn't pick between the two of these. The first one was 88 in the playoffs against Borough. It was obviously an awful day. Winning 1-0 through Dury, but um, not having quite enough. Being the only team to be relegated from the first division in the, in the playoffs. Second game was 1992 in the FA Cup quarter-final against Sunderland in replay. We really thought that the year was going to be our year. Travelled up there with about six or seven of us in a minibus. Went for a few drinks beforehand in Darlington. Then a local guy, I'll never forget his name, called Gazza, stole our whip money. So that was the start of a bad day. Got up to Sunderland and the walk to the ground was dicey to say the least. 
And then to cap it all off, got beaten 2-1 by Gordon Armstrong header with a couple of minutes to go. So um, a long trip home that night. My best game is a bit of an obscure one, but um, it's a game where I thought, this is it now, we've really uh, turned the tide and we're going to we're on the cusp of something special. It was a home game against Southampton, 95-96. We had Hoddle in charge, who still should get more credit for what he'd done for that club. Hullet is probably the best player I've seen play for Chelsea in that season. And Hughes, who I obviously despised at the time, but as soon as he signed for Chelsea, that was it. He was a legend. So um, we were 1-0 up with Frank Sinclair. And then right at the end of the game, there was two great volleys by Hughes and uh, Hullet. And it just felt to me, this is the moment everyone's been waiting for. We're really going to go places now. And we had to wait a little bit longer. It's like 97 for the FA Cup, but that was a turning point for me, I think. So thank you for having me, guys. And uh, keep up all the good work with the podcast and the playlist. Come on, you blues. And we're back. So, yeah, it's interesting he picks that Southampton game in 95-96 with Hughes and Hullet volleys and that team under Hoddle. That was the beginning of where we are now, isn't it? Or wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, we've talked about it again yeah. this season. We've talked about the, the Blue Revolution and, and what Hoddle and Hullet bought to Chelsea Football Club at that time and, and what a springboard that provided for everything that came after it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's um, it's great hearing these memories. And, um, well, we've got we've got one left in the can and that will be used next week. So thanks, everyone, as always, for doing your first, worst and best. So before we go, we should have a quick chat. Arsenal Cup final. Mm, this is tough, isn't it? Because we did them badly last time in a final. They'll be up for revenge, potentially. Do we have enough in the tank to take care of them? Look, look, it's a really fascinating cup final because this is two teams that on their day can turn up and damage you uh, offensively uh, uh, with their attacking players. But it's also two teams that can fall to pieces and and have catastrophic uh, defensive lapses. So I think they're very well matched, even though the the gap in the table would say otherwise. I think player for player, uh, we probably have enough uh, to do it but it just depends on how our defence turns up on the day or how our defensive mindset turns up on the day as you say I think we've got enough to score against them um, Giroud is always motivated uh, playing against his old club uh, if Christian Pulisic can can keep the same vein of form that he's been in over recent games he's going to be a real threat against that Arsenal defence who just aren't good enough I don't think uh, so yeah I th- I, look I think we've got enough it's just a question of whether we turn up and we want it yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think we'll want it because I think Frank will be in their ear going, you know what? Nothing really means anything until you've got something in the cabinet and mm-hmm. we need this. Nobody expect he, He'll do that almost siege mentality thing. Of, no one expected us to be in the top four. No one expected us to be any good this year. Look what you've done. Now underline it and go out and beat them. I, I can I can just see it. I, I think they're going to be pumped up for this one. And I think you're right. You know, that depends a lot on on how Arsenal decide to play. I think I think we'll stay with three at the back. I think that's he's he's gone for tactical changes now. He's gone, this is what I'm setting my stall out for for the end of the season, and this is how we'll go. I think, you know, a lot will rest on how Reese James manages to push them back. You know, he'll be up against will he be up against Bellerin or will he be up against um 
the other guy on the other side, Tierney, I think it is. Um, mm. It, it depends. He scored at the weekend. Yeah, he did. Um, so yeah, I, I think Reese James has a has a big part to play in this game because you can get if you can get in behind Arsenal, they're like us. They they don't like crosses. They don't like the ball fizzing in. Giroud has got to be a starter for me. I would think. I think it's unlikely oh, it'll be Tammy. Yeah. No, it will be Giroud. Obviously, I think you can't you can't drop a player in this in this vein of form at the moment. Cut to uh, Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Oh, Giroud's on the bench. That's so, why up front. But, yeah, his swan song. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, what will happen with him? Um, well, I think if you look at this season, and you know, for all of the wailing and gnashing of teeth that we have done, for all the hair that we have pulled out over the eighteen games that we haven't won, you know, we have uh lost 12 and drawn six this season in, in the league you know um for all of that and for all of the times that we've bemoaned our defense and bemoaned the you know the goalkeeper and all of the other things that have driven us insane this season top 4 and a cup final and a potential trophy you have to put that down as a hugely impressive first season in management for Frank Lampard Oh, without a doubt. Again, we'll go into this a little bit more in depth next week, hopefully when we're really, really happy. And, you know, you, I don't know why no one else mentions it, but we're still in the Champions League. So who knows what could happen? Yeah. You know, for, OK, um, there's the realist, yeah, um, which I... Well, I'll tell you what, if we, if we beat Bayern Munich, we'll do another podcast, shall we? Oh, God, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> Try and stop us. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear a podcast with us, you know, sort of talking about, an, you know, a 6-0 aggregate loss against Bayern Munich today. So <laughs> no, that's no, why no. we're not doing one. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right, mate. Well, look, we're, we're out of time. Um, just quickly, prediction for Saturday's cup final, please. I'm confident. I think we're going to win 3-1. Okay. I, I'm confident. I think we're going to win 6-3. <laughs> Okay, the craziest cup final of all time. Yeah, with no one in the ground. Not even Naz. I mean, there you go. That's strange. All right, mate. Well, look, we're we're out of time. Um, If you want to give everyone all the deets... Yes, if you uh, would like to send us any feedback or comments or corrections or anything you want, you can talk to us on or follow us on Twitter uh, at at, uh, Chelsea Podcast. You can follow me on at... Uh, Mr. A. Saunders. You can follow Kerry on at Kerry Levy, which is C E R I L E V Y. On Instagram, it's at One True Saunders for me, at Kerry Levy One uh, for Kerry, which is C E R I L E V Y One. And the podcast on Instagram is at The Chels Podcast. Brilliant. That's everything. And done without even a pause. Excellent, Andy. I don't know how you do that. Um, All right. Look, we will speak next week, after which we will have some silverware. Or will we? (gasps) Let's hope so. All right, mate. Have a good week, and I'll see you next week. Take care. Bye. Bye. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.